For the past 40 years, R.A. Rain and Chris Kohler have painstakingly and willingly dug through the Old Republic and Imperial archives. They've scanned the holonet and opened every holocron from here to Jeddah. It is now time for them to declassify the Star Wars universe just for you. Coming to you from the Nerdables family of podcasts, this is Star Wars Declassified. Um, we have several different shows. Nerdables is our main podcast. It's all pop culture. We like to cover a lot of Star Wars, so we decided to do a Star Wars Declassified, where we break down Star Wars, one character, planet, vehicle, you name it at a time. Uh, joining me are Troy Manning of the 501st, Casey Reidenberg, the owner of the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Los Angeles, and George Lucas Spirit Award winner, Elliot Serrano, and all the way down to the end is my podcast partner, Chris Collard. So we will be taking you on a journey of how a galaxy far, far away has impacted our world. So Chris, <laughs> as you can tell, there were a couple other people that were supposed to be on our panel. Unfortunately, Eric Bauza, who is a voiceover actor, had a previous engagement. Um, and then Dan um, Madsen, sorry, I lost his name for a second, of uh, Her Universe and uh, Star Wars um, Insider had surgery on his leg this week, so that's why he couldn't make it. He's in Bacta right now. Yeah, he's in Bacta right now. Which, yeah, he was in episode one, so that was pretty cool. I know, he's a cabbie Yeah, I was hoping to get him on here so we can talk to him. He'll be on, he's already agreed to be on one of our podcasts later on for this classified, so stay tuned for that. Chris, you ready? I thought I did. Anyone listen to our podcast? I know. Hey, go to the Facebook page. I'll go ahead and, uh, yeah, since I have questions right here. Um, so, guys, we'll just go down the line. What was your first professional or semi professional work dealing with Star Wars? Troy? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of the exact. One, but it, it would have been uh, some sort of uh, partnership with the Bible First and, and the time that Lucasfilm before Disney came along, um, you know, doing uh, events um, ranging from, you know, in Vegas uh, with international licenses, and they wanted, you know, 20 stormtroopers and a Vader on stage, you know, basically closing out their whole presentation to, to sell a new brand you know, they, they've taken on. Um, uh, you know, all, all sorts of work, big and small commercials. I mean, being in Southern California, there's just no shortage of, of commercial work. So, and all that being professional. Um, yeah. Um, I think the first, like, real Lucasfilm, and maybe the only real Lucasfilm thing I did was um, Kyle Newman and I did a Return of the Jedi retrospective in. Uh, for the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi for Entertainment Weekly, where we interviewed a bunch of celebrities about their Return of the Jedi memories in 2013. But I also did uh, Hughes the Force, they had James Arnold Taylor and Catherine Tabor and Tom Kane uh, in, as a Star Wars fan film that came out in 2011. And then 
I worked with James Arnold Taylor again in 2015 for a Star Wars fan film called Summer 78. Excuse me, my voice is a little shot, I apologize. Um, I guess the first semi-professional thing was my fan film, uh, uh, Unlimited Power, which came out in 2011 and won the uh, George Lucas Fan Film Award that year. Um, and then probably the first professional thing was there's a uh, YouTube site called Cosplay Piano, and uh, the woman who plays piano on that wanted to do a Star Wars episode, and Lucasfilm got on board with it, and they asked the company that I work for to make a Millennium Falcon piano. So I had to design a Millennium Falcon piano, and we had to convert it into a regular piano into the Millennium Falcon. Does it that play? Does it? Does it only play? It also plays. Now, Jason, you were also on. You were on Rosie O'Donnell's show. I was on the Rosie O'Donnell show uh, the day episode one came out doing Star Wars trivia and on MTV TRL uh, in 2004 for the release of the Star Wars special edition DVDs. Yeah. How'd you do with the trivia on it? Uh, I won. I did okay. <laughs> I, know, I know some Star Wars trivia. Humble brag. Anybody else have any uh, um, professional? I'm, oh, professional. Um, I'm working right now on a project with Regal Robot. There's uh, a lot of um, Star Wars homewares, if you will, but I'm not allowed to say what it is. And we, and we just uh, came from the Magic Wheelchair presentation. Uh, I work for Fonco Creative, and uh, we did a, a wheelchair of Anakin's Jedi Starfighter from um, Clone Wars for uh, this kid Nate in his wheelchair, and he loved it, and all the other builds were amazing, and that was all Lucas Film sanctioned and approved. Very cool. I'll, I'll pick Fonko a little bit for you, too. Okay, um, please do. Uh, worked on, uh, who Elliot works for, uh, the Star Wars Special Edition and all the Star Wars prequels, and you guys have a booth here on the show floor, so everybody should go check that out, because uh, Fon's a really cool guy, he's happy to talk to you about how many miniatures and how few digital effects are actually in the prequels for all you prequel haters. He'll, uh, he'll teach you all sorts of stuff about Q-tips in the uh, pod racing scene and all that stuff if you want to deep dive on the prequels or the special editions. Richie Preston's come up? No. No? All right. Well, let's do, let's do the non-professional stuff. Okay. So the personal stuff. What is your guys' first exposure to Star Wars? Um, uh, May 1977, I was five years old, and word got my parents that uh, this movie was out that I would probably like. Uh, at the time, I was a big uh, Adam West Batman fan, I was a big dinosaur fan, and uh, I, I tried watching Star Trek, but as a five-year-old, I was like, oh, the spaceship's cool, but these people aren't really doing anything exciting to me. Uh, that changed later on, but... Um, so they took me to see Star Wars, and the whole time, I, I have very vague memories of certain of, of details of it, but I do remember very specifically walking out of the movie afterwards and saying to my parents, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. That's what, that's what I do what, what, I'm, what I want to do when I grow up. And my mom was like, I'm not sure what that means. And to this day, she's not sure what that means. You still want to go to 
galaxy far, far away, right? Yeah, be a Jedi, obviously. Yeah, right. uh, Crazy old wizard Jedi. On fire, um, a full ship. Uh, I saw that one of my first memories was seeing Return of the Jedi in the movie theater. I wasn't, um, I was like two or three years old, and that's, uh, the Luke and Darth Vader fight scene is all I really remember. I, I really just remember the hype around being there with my cousins and, and the buzz that was going on. Like, I, I don't really remember the movie, but I remember that it was a special event that as a three-year-old I got to go and, and do this thing. How about you, Troy? First memories, uh, my mom made me a Darth Vader suit when I was about five, so I was born in 78, so I was probably in the Return of the Jedi area. Um, but yeah, that's probably one of the things that probably, you know, the costuming scene was planted a bit. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, and, and of course, having older brothers would hand me down action figures that helped too. I'm glad I'm not the oldest one on the panel, because you know, I was four and a half when Star Wars came out. And I had to beg my parents too. I just they, turned five, so it's not that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to go see it before they would ever let me go see it. And then they took me to a driving theater to see it, where I got to sit in front of. There was a playground in front of the screen. So when the Star Destroyer goes overhead, I'm sitting there swinging, looking up at this thing, going, "Oh yeah, that's where I want to be now." And, you know, so I got to watch the movie like. It was bigger than life in front of me at four and a half. Chris, when did you get to see the first one? Um, when it was re-released, well, it was 80 or 81 before Empire Strikes Back. It's the first film I remember seeing in the theater. Like, I could still sort of fuzzy seeing it. You know, I had the memory of being in the theater, but I most remember coming home and telling my father about it. He'd already seen it with my brother, who was older than me. So I remember coming home and just like describing the film like crazy to my father. Like, this happens, this happens. That dark theater goes off into space, and that thing explodes. And it's a medal ceremony, and they all get medals. Uh, even Han, it really doesn't deserve one. Um, <laughs> well, he lets everybody die, and then he then he shows up at the very end. Now, where, why did Wedge get a medal? Huh? He was there. Yeah, but he was knocked out. Wedge is like, hey, sorry, uh, I, I think I lost my air conditioning. And looks like, get clear, Wedge. It's way too hot not to have AC above this moon. <laughs> Okay, I always just wanted to know who that Y-Wing was. I was going to say the Y-Wing time. That, that weird Y-Wing at the end. I made the joke, on the other side of the Death Star. Was that, wait, it was over there. No, no, no John Cage was good for it. Yeah. So after you guys were first exposed to what kind of, you know, in the original trilogy obviously means something to all of us. What what were like the themes or the stories or the characters that really drew you in? Like what made you a part of, that made you want to be a part of it so much? The first, um, sure. <clears throat> um, I remember as a kid, uh, Luke Skywalker to me was was the greatest. R two D two and C three PO were kind of like there was Luke and R two and three PO were my favorite characters. And I remember I had these pajamas that looked sort of like Luke's costume, so I wore them everywhere all the time. You mean on the No, not on Actual pajamas. And um, my mom was like. Give me those so I can wash them. I'm like, no, I'm Luke Skywalker. And um, you can't take it from me. And then when like the merchandise started coming out, and a Burger King did a uh, a Star Wars glasses, and I remember I didn't I'm, at that age I didn't know that like there was a different one each week. It was like you know I thought you had a choice of which one you could get. I remember losing my mind at Burger King because I couldn't get the R2D2 
into a superhero class. Wrong week, come back later. Um, <laughs> wrong week, come back later. Yeah, so, but then I, when I realized like, how it worked, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. Like, we get to go to Burger King four times this month, and uh, my classes. I, um, thematically, I think I love the idea. I, I, Luke Skywalker is my favorite, um, and I think that a lot of people say that Han Solo is their favorite the same way that a lot of like little brothers and little sisters look at their older siblings and they're like, he's my favorite, he's my hero. But realistically, everybody's Luke Skywalker and they just like to pretend they're Han Solo. Um, and uh, so I, Luke always resonated with me and I think it's the idea that um, Everybody has something inside of them that maybe they don't really understand fully. That when they uh, work at it and have a certain set of experiences, they can tap into that and really accomplish anything. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, Luke Skywalker is definitely it's it's, just, it's where things start. It's where I guess the, the nobody becomes somebody, and you see it again with Ray and Force Awakens, and I don't know. If that's the most Anakin. Had his, you know, sure. It, it's that hero's journey, and to me, it was always the the main thing that made me really connect to Star Wars. You know, I mean, it's the same thing when you have Greek mythology. You always had that hero's journey, and that was what resonated with people. And the fact that Farmer could be a Jedi and you know have a lightsaber was the coolest thing to me. Is this legit? Of like six people who are like. Like Luke Skywalker more than Darth Vader and Boba Fett and Han Solo and all the cool people. Well, I, think, I think everybody has like that main character they love and then the side character or the, the kind of B character that's your favorite. Like Boss yeah. is always mine because of the dinosaur. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, oh, okay, who's your who's your secondary character that you like? Uh, that you resonated with? For, I'll I'll say Boba Fett. Just, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's a punk. He died like a punk. Blah blah blah. I'm like, hey, when when. The uh, ad to order that figure showed up on TV. I couldn't get enough uh, um, proof of purchases together <laughs> fast enough to order that thing. And in Empire, he was really cool. Like this guy, like figured out where the Millennium Falcon was and was able to follow them and catch them, and uh, basically pulled two bounties—one from the Empire and one from Java, which was pretty smart, I thought. And just, just don't wear a jetpack in combat. That's all. <laughs> Definitely one of the most successful designs in this Yes, very much so. Uh, yeah, Joe Johnston and Ralph McQuarrie probably came arguably the most iconic looking character in Star Wars. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dak. I just like the idea that uh, he could take on the whole Empire himself. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, you know, going too soon. Uh, and also, post-1999, Jar Jar. Yeah! <laughs> it's Jarvis still cool. You know, and there's things, and it's funny because I was looking at the prequel, uh, the episode one not too long ago, and I realized that with some very minor cuts, you can make Jar Jar a lot cooler. Now, uh, talk to me, talk to me, find me outside after the panel, and I can give you a dissertation on why Jar Jar is so amazing. And also, I like to remind people that Jar Jar, you know, before there was Gollum, before there was Caesar, before there was, you know, any of the movies that we have now where everyone's like, oh, the CG, the CG, there was Jar Jar, you know, he paved the way. Also, like, <laughs> he's a bomb bad general, guys. 
Is that a bulky gang? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, definitely both. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's well, he's one of your other costumes that you trip as. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I call the stormtroopers the gateway drug, and then we usually sign themselves. Oh, I'm tall, movie, bigger, chewy, or um, for me, it was just. I mean, yeah. well, but that's expensive as well. Somebody spent thousands of dollars to make yeah. that screen accurate. Because yeah. none of you guys have said who the true hero of the Star Wars movies are. Oh, the true hero. The true hero. Does anybody know who the true hero of the Star Wars movies are? Mouse Rates. Salacious Crumb. R2-D2. Yes. R2-D2, if it wasn't for R2, Luke would have never been in. R2 counts as a main. But he's going to be in all nine films. Look, I actually said him earlier. Luke would have never made the shot at the Death Star if it wasn't for R2. The Millennium Falcon would have never escaped on Bespin if it wasn't for R2. But he's still a main. Luke would, Luke would have never saved Han without R2. Is it a main character or a secondary character? They would have never found Luke without R2. All those dudes at Jabba's palace would have gone thirsty without R2. <laughs> R2. R2. <laughs> R2's the main hero. Um, so when was the first time you guys realized the universe really meant something to you that was different than you saw with other people? And then... Um, then how did you get the reaction that was more intense to you? I guess that was the same question over again, so I apologize. <laughs> um, for me, it was, you know, growing up with it, I was, you know, I collected all the figures and read all the books and everything, so I, you know, it was ingrained in my mind. This is, you know, before they had names, you know, this is Hammerhead, this is, uh, you know. You can't use that term. Only yes. authorities can use that term. Um, <laughs> but there was Mama Nana. There's Walrus uh, Man. But Walrus Man and Snaggletooth and, you know, um, TIE Fighter, and I found out what TIE stood for, and, and, you know, and all my friends in school and were into Star Wars, but not like I was, where I was like, you know, everything I drew was Star Wars. I would come up with my own concepts for Star Wars. Uh, I think I actually came up with an idea for a space trooper that I actually sent to George Lucas <laughs> as a kid. I wrote, like, this whole bio of, like, what the space trooper's abilities are and everything, and, and of course, they got used in Star Wars later. <laughs> they look kind of like what I can. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was really invested in it. And I just, anything I saw that said Star Wars, I, I wanted to read it or look at it or own it. Not necessarily going to, like, erasers and stuff like that I didn't care about, but... Um, you didn't have the toilet paper? Uh, I had a toothbrush. But I, I was really into the Kenner line, and I... I had every figure up to uh, the Return of the Jedi uh, coin line, and I just and all my friends were starting to get into sports and everything. I was still like, dude, well, sports, Star Wars is here. Come on, man. Uh, for me, I loved Star Wars when I was very little, but I was born in 1981, so Star Wars was not around when I actually got into Star Wars, like the older people noticed the Dark Ages, the Dark Times. Um, and uh, I got into Star Wars, I, I was in third grade, and I made like my first real friend, and we were at his house, and we opened up this toy box, and it had all of his older brother's Kenner action figures in it, and he had the Millennium Falcon, and he had a, you know, uh, the troop transport. He had all these cool toys that I didn't have. I was like, oh my god, look at all of this. And that was like the spark that reignited it. 
And from there, my, my first real friend and I, like, just dove head first into the toys. We played with the toys way longer than what was considered cool times to be playing with any sort of action figures. Um, but because he and I were, we had this, like, bond over Star Wars that the other kids in school didn't have. We just consumed all of it. We rewatched Star Wars every weekend. We'd have a sleepover. We'd watch the two movies and then we'd make up what happened after Return of the Jedi every single weekend. Um, and that was, I guess that's not when I realized I had a problem with Star Wars, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of where that problem began. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it for me. It starts with realizing or remembering that I would take my toys, my Star Wars toys, my G.I. Joe's, my Transformers, and they'd all fight each other, but I'd have on the Star Wars soundtrack on the record, and, you know, realizing that, you know, Star Wars would always win, Transformers, G.I. Joe's, you know. Are you allowed them to fight each other? Yeah. I think it was a swag, and Star Wars still somehow. Alright, you win. I did that too. I did, realizing that, you know, it wasn't the Transformers that you had to It's always Star Wars. I did, in uh, this short film I did, Summer 78, I had Star Wars toys playing with other toys, and the YouTube comments were like, nobody does that. You don't know anything about Star Wars. Yeah. So it makes me so happy that you used to cross-pollinate your toys. Like, Voltron always stood with the Rebel Alliance when I played. I find I find more people actually did the mashup. I'm one of those that I kept everybody separate, like like OCD that's back here somewhere that doesn't always come out, but when it did, I never like I wouldn't cross it at all. And now that's like all I do. I, all I'm searching for is ways to like cross all these things in order to look photography and stuff like that. I, don't, I didn't do so much of the crossroads, but I would do like dioramas. I would set up like the Battle of Hoth. I'd have my hat and I would balance it so it's stepping on, on the snow speeder. And I would have the Imperial attack base, which I don't know why it was called that because it was basically the rebel base. Um, you know, and I was like, Dad, can I get like a couple more snow troopers and a couple more, you know, Hoth rebel troopers and everything? Because I, got, I need more to make the diorama better. And, uh, I also built a lot of models too, so I think all that was connected as well. You know what did the the mashup amongst brands like incredibly successfully was the Lego movie. You yeah. see that in the Lego movie, right? Where it's like Batman with Star Wars with this guy with this thing. Well, see, Ready Player One does that now too. Uh, my parents made the mistake of allowing me to see Clash of the Titans when I was a kid. So Zeus has all of the figurines of you know the humans stacked up in lines on the wall, he'd bring them down and play with them one at a time. That did it for me, that's what I had to do. So every one of my Star Wars figures would be sitting up there in one section, the G.I. Joe would be in another, you know, He-Man would be in one section, and then they would just come down and they would fight in an arena against each other. Of course, the island back east where it was snow, so snow was the greatest thing in the world, because I got to bring out the ad and have my hot set, and I'd build trenches and do the whole battle of hot. Yeah, every California kid, it was always happily. <laughs> well, see, there's more desert planets in the Star Wars universe than yes. the They just keep reusing them. Uh, as we're talking about passion and stuff in your personal life, Troy, I want to ask you, what got you started into trooping? Um, well, it, 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 honestly, it started as I wanted to build a stormtrooper outfit for Halloween. It was a very small, ambitious little, you know, I guess it's still kind of crazy. I mean, I had friends that thought I was crazy, but... 
Um, but doing, you know, researching that, how do you do that? And you, you instantly start meeting biodiverse people, thank you, in the internet, and the communities. And then you realize what level they were doing at, what kind of events they had access to, and then I started taking it a lot more seriously. By the time Halloween rolled around, I'd already put so much blood, sweat, and tears into the stormtrooper costume. The last thing I wanted to do was take it to a party and, you know, it, have it get damaged somehow. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it started. And then once the events started happening, uh, I went whole hog. So, multiple costumes. And what are some of the greatest the really things about trooping that have stood out to you? Um, I mean, it, it's such a wide gamut of stuff from from the beginning in LA and all that, there's all this high profile stuff where I got to throw out first pitch, because Boba Fett sold out the Dodger Knights Star Wars game. I mean, my dad's head was spinning, you know, he didn't care about Star Wars, he was just like, you know, do you have a ball? <laughs> and um, I mean, you know, LA Children's Hospital, you know, we, it's obviously a charitable nonprofit. Um, going and seeing children, you know, in, in the hospital and their parents just crying. You know that some you know somebody would take the time to come visit their child and make them smile. I mean, it was such a you know thank thank goodness I had that on you know because you know you get back to the car and you just I'm like crying I'm like so overwhelmed and incredibly emotional. You know that you can help people that way. Yeah. Well, I mean it's kind of thanks because I want to ask JC too because I want to move on to the professional part of it too. You've obviously taken your passion and put it into a business, which is, I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like more of a business than a passion for you, or is it a passion that just happens to be a business as well? Um, well, I mean, what's interesting about Star Wars for me is that um, I, it's, I made the joke about Dak earlier, but like, really, it's kind of true in a way, in that, um, in multiple professional aspects of my life, like I, uh, I work very closely with Kevin Smith, and I was, I met him through writing a role for him in a Star Wars fan film I did, and I, uh, that was, it, it's a common language for people, right? Um, people in the film industry, especially, like if you walk in and like you walk into a meeting with somebody and you see they have a, you know, some weird little Star Wars, like a Revenge of the Jedi patch on their desk, you can have a two hour conversation with that person about nothing having to do with the project you're working on, and at the end of it they're like, I don't even care, you've got the job because you can talk to me about Mantha tracks, you know? Um, and, and that's a true story, like Damon Lindelof told that story about uh, how he got started on Moss. He and J.J. Abrams talked about Star Wars for two hours and then he got the job on Moss. So, in terms of film, that has been, like, it's been this connection I've been able to make to people who are years ahead of me in their careers that, and, and they trust me because I can quote Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, as far as, you know, uh, Scum and Villainy, um, I think the only way to successfully run any sort of geeky business is to, you have to love it. You just have to, um, you know, feel like you can uh, be true to yourself and create something that, uh, where you want to hang out. Because if it's 
forced or if it's fake or something that you don't really care about to your soul, everybody else who loves Star Wars or any geeky thing as much as you do walks in and they see that it's paper thin. So if you can, if you really care about it, if you know all the trivia or you understand the aesthetics of it or, or whatever it is, whatever aspect of it that you really embrace, just put it out there on the table, throw all your cards down, and um, other people recognize that because it feels real. Did I answer the question or did I just talk? Everybody should know also that JC's the Scumability started out as a pop up and it's been there about a year and a half now. Uh, yeah, we opened in April 2017, so just shy of a year and a half. Yeah, I think I'm there more than he is. <laughs> and you guys, if anyone lives in, in the area or in LA, you've definitely got to go check it out. It's the coolest little club in the state, and it does take you right to Tatooine, and you feel like you were stepping right into the, the cantina. But also the great thing about it, too, is, you know, KC has made it a safe space for every family, which is, I'm just, since, I'm, 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 since you did cocktail, I'm doing the bar for you. Uh, yeah, it's not. Now I understand you become a prima donna. We just like <laughs> there, there's um, look. There's so much, and I'm just gonna look. The way the world is today, and everybody's looking for a reason to build a wall. Not making a political statement, but everybody's looking for a reason to build a wall. Everyone's looking for the uh, the things that make you different from everybody else. And realistically, like if you're a nerd and like you love Star Wars, like why are you gonna why are you gonna look at the dude in the Star Trek shirt and be like, ew? When it's like, guess what? Okay, don't talk about Star Wars. Talk about Firefly or Battlestar Galactica or Doctor Who or Marvel or one of the eight million things you have in common with that person. And so we try to create a, an immersive environment that fosters bringing people together the way like a sports bar when you're um, rooting for your home team. You walk in and you see the people who are rooting for the, the same team you are, and you go and sit with them, and you talk about facts, or you talk about statistics, that's scum and villainy for nerdy stuff. You get to come in and talk with other nerdy people, and you don't have to say like, hey man, like, did you watch Game of Thrones last night? You just come in and you're just like, oh my god, when the ice dragon, spoilers, shows up, and this and this and this, and you just go into it. Like, those first two, like, awkward like icebreaker questions already have happened you know it's easy just to be like hey what's your favorite movie and then like you have a new best friend well i think there's a there's a history in that sort of fandom you know this kind of goes to where we were actually going to go at the end this generation of generation of star wars fans a lot of us when we were growing up we had that point like you said is used to we're still playing with the toys when it was culturally unacceptable to be playing with toys i went through the same thing it's a big uh, uh comic book fan Star Wars fan, dinosaur fan. I had to hide that when I was in junior high, high school. Luckily, I was a sports fan too, so I was able to, you know, be authentic as being a sports fan. But that's all they talked about. But like, you were, in fact, kill on what you're saying. When you're back, yeah. back when we were there, if you wore a Star Wars T-shirt or a Marvel T-shirt or anything like that, you were automatically ostracized. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the things we wanted to talk about in terms of how Star Wars relates to the world. Is the difference now where pop culture is so big? There's 300,000 people that are here to celebrate pop culture and buy exclusives. Um, so, like, what do you guys see as the differences? It's so different, you know, for me now, what I went through to what 
the kids these days are going through is so different. How do you guys feel when you see the way fandom has changed? Um, I, for me, it's kind of funny because you know during the dark ages, as it's called, um, I was in high school and you know I was like every now and then I would reference Star Wars, and, but in the back of my head I remembered it all. Um, then when I got to college, I met this one guy who he had he bought his Star Wars figures at the college. What a nerd. He had all the, the West End role-playing game books and everything, and taught me how to play, and we found like this group of people who were into Star Wars, and, like, so this is early 90s, and then by then the Timothy Zahn novels had come out, and uh, then the micro-machines, and that micro-machines are kind of one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why George was like, eh, maybe it's time to release the Star Wars, let's do the special editions. And by then, all the kids who grew up on Star Wars were now adults. Or you know, young adults, and or you know whatever, and they're you know and they're going oh my god yeah like I grew up on this this was such an important part of my childhood um, and why I should be wrong for you to embrace that as an adult and I think I think that's kind of that was kind of the uh, the launching point for how a lot of um, at least for Star Wars. Uh, became way more acceptable and I kind of I like to think that that's part of the reason why a lot of the other fandoms have also become you know come to the forefront as something that's yeah. not taboo. I um and I think we talked about this when I was on the podcast last year. Um, I'm gonna go the opposite direction with this, which I think it's awesome that Star Wars is everywhere now. Uh, for me what's super different and interesting is that when I was young, uh, during the quote dark ages, I, when you saw somebody with a Star Wars shirt on, you immediately knew, you could deep dive with them. Like, they knew that Hammerhead was an Ithorian named Amalgamated. They knew that Walrus Man was actually named Pondavala and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now, like, anybody who shops at Target has a Star Wars shirt on. So for me, it's, what's been interesting is, is when I was growing up, when I saw somebody who was a Star Wars fan, it meant that they were a super fan. And now when I see somebody who loves Star Wars, it doesn't necessarily mean they have an unhealthy relationship with Star Wars the way I do. Uh, which is fine. Like, it's still cool, but it's it's... I have to adjust to the idea that, like, I can't just go up to the dude in the airport wearing the Star Wars disco shirt. And be like, you know, in uh, Dark Force Rising, when Winter and Wedge first talked, did you know that later on they were going to get married? <laughs> and like, then security's called. You know, but <laughs> 20 years ago, I could have that conversation. This happened. The guy's eyes light up. There is that more weird moment when you walk up to somebody that has a Star Wars T-shirt on, and you go, "Oh yeah," you start talking to them, and they go. I've never seen the movies. And you're like, uh, wait, I've gotten, no, don't wear that. Get it off. I've gotten the, I love your shirt. Oh, a friend gave me this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is why I wear Jar Jar stuff now. Now anybody who comes up and they're like, I love Jar Jar. I'm like, Misa want to hug you. <laughs> so, Troy, you, you, you and I both know we have kids. How do you think our kids growing up being with Star Wars, because I mean, they don't have a point where it was brand new or right. there was you know, a dark time. They have been born with it. How do you think that it affects them differently than a, you know, and becoming fans opposed to where we were? 
I mean, it's just like, I mean, she, she also, you know, my daughter, she, she, was, she did the classic, she'd swipe a magazine thinking it was an iPad. Yeah. So, you know, all that stuff is, is you know, part of the course now. I mean, the sandbox is, is here. Well, now we're all just kind of fighting over what the sandbox should be. Yeah. I said that my daughter had a Star Wars Day this year for May the 4th. And she was going to dress up as one of the characters. We go, well, you have a Marine costume. Dress up as Rey. She goes, no, Dad. I'm a true Star Wars fan. I was going to dress up as Princess Leia because I was a Star Wars fan before Rey was there. All right. I love you. Well, we were talking last night about this. There's like three generations of Star Wars fans. Those that were introduced in the original trilogy, like us. Those that were introduced in the prequels and Clone Wars. And we now have this new batch of younger Star Wars fans who were introduced in the Disney era. And the differences that those people will have, like we've all gone through that dark ages. Uh, even prequel fans go through that 10 years where there really wasn't that much. Um, you know, you had magazines and books and comics and, and, and everything, but it still wasn't like it is now, the explosion that it was. So that's sort of interesting to see those differences in terms of especially how heavily marketed it is now. You know, like what JC was talking about, when we were kids, you had that, you had that instant connection and you always called it the head check. My dad rode a motorcycle. Whenever you rode a motorcycle and you have a motorcycle passing you the other way, you always kind of just check each other. Like you both understood this is the kind of life that, that we're in. Um, and you had that as a kid. A few people I knew that were into Star Wars, into comics, and into G.I. Joe and stuff like that. We had a, that instant connection. And now, yeah, there is different different levels. And there isn't anything wrong with it. You can be a Star Wars fan who just sees the movies. You can be a Star Wars fan who just devours every source of entertainment. You mentioned West End Games. I never played the game. I have all of those books because of the little stories that well, yeah, I always said that West End Games saved Star Wars. If West End doesn't get it, that never, it never gets restarted. And that was called Pablo Rodondo, who is now head of the story team in Lucasfilm. Um, and the cool, yeah, the books were as much um, uh, information about the universe as much as they were uh, a gameplay aid. Yeah, they described uh, the Empire and the Rebellion. And that's where great short stories that are in there that I still remember now because I just devoured them over and over again. And that led to Valentine going to Luke's like, We want to do books. And Dark Horse going to Luke's like, We want to do comics. Because people like me were buying source books, not playing the game at all. Spending $20 on this big, thick, hardcover book because all I wanted to do was read the stories over and over and over again. And they, they, um, that's where characters like Mama and Adam and, uh, you know, yeah, they didn't name all those yeah, things. You got the name and the backstory. Yeah, the species, like that. what planet they were from, all they that. Some of the like, vehicles. I mean, Coruscant, matter of fact, was a name oh. from the book. Yes. I think used Coruscant in the book because it was already in, Coruscant was a name that was on Lucas's list once upon a time. And they just needed names. The Juggernaut comes out of that. And you see the Juggernaut in episode three. For those of us that go all the way back to the West End games, it was that giddy moment because the Juggernaut was used in the Outer Rim because all your stories couldn't matter. If you were playing the game, you couldn't like defeat the Empire make any sense. So a lot of those kind of campaigns all took place in the Outer Rim and they were all smugglers and rogue Jedi and stuff like that and they used, the Juggernaut was one of the uh, concepts. Yeah, concepts yeah. for the Adat and they used it as well. All of the teams, all the Empire teams that, that don't get the real expensive stuff out there, they have to use this thing. And then it shows up in Clone Wars. And, it was great. and the funny thing about that too is one of the, one of the rules George Lucas had in Star Wars was there's no wheels in Star Wars. Yeah. But then I love the idea that like in the Outer Rim, you can have a sand crawler yeah. or have a uh, you know when you're out there it's not it's, like, yeah, uh, it's not the cosmetology we, we, we can't afford you know repulsiveness for you guys just drive I am um, I'm kind of building on that something I think is super interesting is because 
Right now, we're looking at a John Favreau Star Wars series. We're looking at the Return of Clone Wars. We're looking at Star Wars Resistance. We're looking at however many movies are actually going to happen that have been announced that may or may not be happening. Five more movies. What I find is interesting is is when. Star Wars, when I was growing up with Star Wars, all you had was six hours of movies, and you you poured over every frame and every detail, and then you're like, oh, what's that mural in the back of Jabba the Hutt's palace? And then you go to the West End Games, and you read that that mural was done by, you know, Yvonne Mon, who's from this planet, and who's a this, and then this. And that's how you, that's why, like, I know trivia so well because I only had six hours of Star Wars that I just needed to know I needed more and I think it's interesting now like you have Han Solo's marketing put on hold because they really should have been marketing that movie six months before The Last Jedi but to start marketing Han Solo six months before you're about to release another movie creates brand confusion so then Han Solo doesn't do well at the box office like there's so much Star Wars that oversaturation that people who aren't like the people in this room don't like there's brand confusion out there and for me that's like the craziest thing where I'm like wait I want to know what this person what two tubes his backstory is in Rogue One and they're like well Star Wars Rebel season four is out so forget about that and move on uh, move along move along and that's where I think I'm I'm coming up against. Star Wars fandom the most is that I'm used to having to like dig and wait and be excited and now like I don't have enough time to be excited about the thing that's currently out there because the next three things have already been announced and like the 24-hour news cycle and like fandom is almost passing me by I'm like I still want to talk about The Force Awakens and they're like that's three movies ago grow up no I totally agree and we, we've talked about that before um we're getting ready to close out here before, but we wanted to do a trivia contest with some of our audience members. So we're going to do a Hollywood Square style. So what we need is we need six audience members to come up to the microphone, and then you get to pick a movie and a panelist answer the question, and then you get to say whether or not you're going to think that they're going to answer it right or wrong. And if you get it, if you get it right with a panelist, you get a prize. So anybody want to fight? Alright, first, first six people, come on down. Hi, what's your name? I'm Maria. Hi. Chris, you want, you want to go with the first question? Well, at first, you've got to pick a panelist. Can you tell me the role again? I didn't know. So pick a panelist. JC. Okay, JC. <laughs> pick a film. Hey, wait, I'm going to, I'm going to shout out. Uh, she owns, her shirt is Seven Stars Bar and Grill which is in San Jose, which is like the super awesome geek bar. If you live in the Bay Area, um, definitely go by their spot because they're amazing. And they always hang out at Scumability, so I'm going to give them a too many times. So pick a film. Any, anything from episode one through episode seven? Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. So we got episode six. Well, it's just here somewhere. Yeah, make it quick. No, she guesses yeah, right. whether or not I'm going to get the answer right. Correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. What do you think? Is he going to get it right or wrong? Yes. Do you think he's going to get it right? I do. All right. So my question to JC is: What was the name of the village in which the Ewoks lived in Return of the Jedi? 
Oh, that's easier. Um, that Ewok is Pat Blue. That's correct. Was the city uh, Bright Sunsons? Nope, Bright Tree Village. I was it? Like it is Bright Tree Village. Texas. Hey, Amber. Amber. How many people here are from Texas? 
That was row one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have any road points. So okay. I purposely left off the last three moves. Um, okay. Well, do you Phantom have a question for road one? Phantom Menace. Who's who's going? And who do you want to? JC. Okay. Yes, we come on. He's a JC. I think you'll get it right. I believe in you. Hey, Blipper. What is a bongo? Um, a transport of some kind of It's a trick question. Oh. How had Anakin Skywalker destroyed Wado's first Podraiser? The old Podraiser. Uh, what didn't uh, Sebalba flash him with his vents? There you go. Yeah. There we go. So Anakin didn't really destroy it. Anakin didn't really destroy it. But so, your question is only true from a certain point. From a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, last one. Uh, hello. Uh, hello, my name is Bayon. And I have a question for Troy. Or, if I'm going to move. Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. You got it, Chris? I'm looking. What does the ATRT stand for? Uh, the All Terrain Reconnaissance Transport. There you go. There we go. Boom. Can I just share a trivia question with you guys? It's really fun to ask your friends, and they'll be like confused for a really long time. I I got asked this question at the sideshow booth a few years back, and I won a, a figure, and everyone was like, "How did you get that answer?" The question is, who said Endor was pretty? Anyone just want to shout out the answer? Anyone? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. R2. Yep. R2. So, when three people say, you said it was pretty, yeah. Uh, people are like, how did you? Oh, right, he does say that. So, that's always a really fun party wanting to get a free shot or something. What? Alright, let's really test JC's knowledge. Who was the production designer for Attack of the Clones? Mm. Uh, the like behind the scenes stuff in the prequels I'm not as Who was that? Trisha Bigger was the costume designer. The Chang. No. Any of the time. Oh give me Kristen, yeah. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pull it. Uh Black what? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do you guys ever get the question that out of the first six episodes, what are the what is it, the five non force users that have held lightsaber? Uh yeah, it's R two D two, the dude uh, Darth Vader, the guy who hands Darth Vader the lightsaber yeah. on Endor, Han Solo. It is low grade. Low grade Ewok. And uh it's episode three. Commander Kevin. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, real quick, maybe? All right, well, thank everybody for coming. Please make sure you tune in to our Nerdles podcast and our Star Wars podcast. Uh, make sure you also go to Facebook.com 
and like us on, you know, and Nerdables or Star Wars Declassified, we always put up new stuff and you know, any information we find out about the Star Wars universe always goes up on our Star Wars Declassified. Uh, we're also on Instagram as Nerdables and we're on Twitter at Nerdables Show. So for my panels, Chris and myself, thank you all for coming and may the force be with you.